0: Uh, we're looking at timeless truths, building our hopes on things eternal. Because as the old hymn says, uh, time is filled with swift transition and everything changes. Um, we need to build on things that are eternal. At school, uh, during the, the COVID era of 2020, um, and students were at home, uh, many teachers had to change everything they were doing in class and put it in an online Form so that they could go on to Zoom with their students and, and have a class and try to learn. That was a major transition. Well, that kind of continued on once school reserve, uh, resumed back in person, but you now know what's going on now is our greatest challenge artificial intelligence, where students can go online and find a computer generated answer to all these online questions that teachers had put hours together to try to produce, because that's how students were working online. So now there's a great transition back to paper and pencil work, because it's the only way teachers can truly validate what the students are doing, unless they're extremely savvy or they're using online uh, authenticity checking programs like Turnitin, things like that. But basically, time is always changing, and a lot of times we go back to the old simply to try to find the best way to do things. Things are always changing. There's trends. There's things that are popular that go in and out all the time. But we want to connect ourselves to timeless truths. We do not want to build our hopes on sand, uh, because when the winds come and the waves come, uh, they will go. But things that are eternal, things that God has told us about that never change are what we want to build our lives upon. And this morning we're going to look at two more. And we looked at two last week. First of all, uh, that God is in control of all. Though He allows certain things to happen that we can't understand, God is truly in control either in sending things or in allowing things. Nothing escapes His notice. Nothing escapes His power. He is in control of all. Amen. The second major truth is He walks us through it all. Though we go through inexplicable things in our life and we experience at times prayers not answered, We see heartbreak on the news, or we see it in our very own family lives. We know that God is there with us. Maybe deciding not to act at a certain time because He sees something that we don't see, or He allows something simply because that's the choice someone made. And we have to bear at times the consequences. He tells us He is always there with us. He never leaves us, He never forsakes us. And that is a timeless truth regardless of what happens in society and, and shifting sands of things that are coming and going. This is something that's been true all throughout Scripture. God is always there with His people, and He walks us through it all. I want to see now a third this morning, and, here's, and a fourth. Here's the third. God searches the depths of your soul. God searches the depths of your soul. I want to talk for a few moments in this first point about how much God knows... And then how much he does with it. There are a lot of entities in our society that know a lot about us. Uh, The IRS. (laughs) They know your address. They won't call you. They won't text you. They know where to reach you. They know where you are. And if they don't know where you are, they will what? They will find you. They will find you. The IRS knows a lot. Uh, Whatever your health provider is, they know a lot about you. They know all the details. They know your health history. Uh, Next to the IRS they probably have the most knowledge. At school we know a whole lot about students based on uh, confidential school programming that's provided to teachers and people in different positions. We know a lot about our students more than they think we know. But we know a lot that is very helpful to understanding them. And the knowledge that we're provided as teachers or even healthcare providers, is not just to get the goods on somebody, but yet to search someone's history and to know what's happened with them so to best help them in the present. Sometimes as a teacher, I learn painful things about my students' past. Incidences of trauma within their own family, having to move when they're a little child from one country to another, not even knowing where they're going, I can learn that. But hopefully I don't learn that just to say, oh, wow, that's a big thing that they went through, and then go on. Hopefully it will help me as a teacher, or in the counseling department, or the wellness department. It helps them understand why a student will react a certain way in the classroom that initially seems disruptive, and it is, or defiant, but it's really out of pain. (laughs) And it's really something happened that caused fear in them, and the fear provoked anger, and they acted out in a certain way. So... A lot of times the counselors in the wellness department will try to look out and to to find someone's history and search into the records and their files to see what's happened with this child and try to understand to best help them in the present. And that's kind of an illustration of the nature of our God's knowledge that I want to spend a few moments understanding. In that God has this deep knowledge that goes beyond any entity's knowledge. And then look what he does with the knowledge. I want to first of all look at Jeremiah chapter 1. If you want to look at these different texts, uh, we'll look at these in order. Some we'll spend a little time with, some we'll spend a little bit more time with. But they're all texts that indicate God's degree of knowledge of our lives. And that he searches deep within us based on what he knows. In the book of Jeremiah, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah to a nation that's on a collision course with captivity. It's a nation of Judah. They've been non-responsive to God's interventions through other prophets, through God's saying at times of temporary punishments to try to get their attention. They've been non-responsive. And Jeremiah is more or less the last one before the end comes, and they get taken away into Babylonian captivity. So Jeremiah has this great task of giving them one more opportunity to turn. So he's got this very challenging position that's going to call for a lot of patience on his part, A lot of care, a lot of love, but a lot of truth-telling as he tries to intervene with God's people. But look what he says in this first uh, section about how the Lord came to him. Verse 4, Jeremiah chapter 1, it says, "The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Verse 6, O sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone. I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and I will rescue you, says the Lord. Two important observations. First of all, God's knowledge of Jeremiah. It doesn't say it started when he was 13 or when he was five or when he was one. Jeremiah says, The Lord told him, I formed you, or before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God has this knowledge of Jeremiah before birth. That's how intense and deep our Father's knowledge is. One of the attributes of God is that he's omniscient, that he is all knowing. His knowing of us doesn't start when we're born. It's not like we don't exist till we're born. It says he knew him before he's even born. And even before he was born, God had set him apart. God knew what he was going to do with Jeremiah. But notice here that knowledge translated into a very personal closeness. When Jeremiah says in verse 7, hey, I'm too young, I can't do this. This is too great of a task to go to these rebellious people. God tells him, do not be afraid, verse 8. For I am with you, and I rescue you, or I will rescue you. What we're going to see is God knows a lot, more than anyone. And he searches deeply, but he does great things with that knowledge. Look at chapter 17, verse 10 of Jeremiah. Look what the Lord himself says. Here, Jeremiah just relayed what the Lord told him, but look at Jeremiah himself as he speaks, or as God speaks through him. Look what the Lord says through Jeremiah 17, verse 10. God says to the people through Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward everyone according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So here, earlier God says, I knew you before you were born. And now he tells the people, I searched the heart. Now, when he says he searched the heart, he's not talking about the physical heart. He's not looking inside the human center of emotions, decisions, the mind, the intellect as they all work together for a person's motivation to make a decision. Either to go one way or another. To be obedient to him or to be rebellious. God says I search the heart. I know what you're going through. I know what's going on. I know what you're wrestling with. I know why you're doing what you're doing. I examine the mind. God knows more than anyone. Then he acts upon what he learns to reward everyone according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Look now in the New Testament, chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Again, God's knowledge is vast, and these two places will be very familiar. Luke 17, or 12 verse 7, I'm sorry, 12 verse 7, and then 16, 15. We'll start with verse 4 of Luke 12. And Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verse 6, though. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. A lot to look at here, but I just want to isolate that one statement of Jesus where he says the very hairs of your head are numbered. I think the intent of what Jesus is saying here based on the context, is not that God's going around counting hairs with the billions of people that live at one time. But he knows a whole lot about them, enough to where he could give you the number instantly. Here's how many hairs are in your head. That's a deep knowledge. It goes beyond the IRS or the schools or the healthcare system. This is a knowledge where someone knows us more personally than anyone else knows. But it's not a knowledge just to get into our business. A lot of times my students will say to the other one, don't don't get in my business. Or uh, they don't want a teacher getting into their business. That means they don't want them knowing too much. So they'll close their computer screen when I come walking by. Or they'll close their notebook if they're writing something maybe they shouldn't be. Things like that. They don't want someone getting too knowledgeable. But here our God just has that knowledge. But notice here it's a not a knowledge to try to get us in trouble. He says, don't be afraid. You are worth more than two sparrows. So God has this deep knowledge of us because we're very valuable to him. He gets into our lives because he loves us deeply and wants to do something about what he finds, which we'll explore further. Look at chapter 16 now of Luke. Luke 16. So every hair on our head is being counted by God. And here in Luke chapter 16, verse 15, uh, Jesus is challenging the group of the Jewish people called the Pharisees who were deeply in love with money and it permeated their actions. And Luke records in verse 14 of chapter 16... The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So basically Jesus is here telling them, I know what's really going on. And your Heavenly Father knows what's really going on. You may be giving and it looks like a lot of charitable, charitable activity to other people. But your God knows your heart. You're just doing it to look good in front of others. That's why Jesus taught so much about don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And, and make sure you give in an authentic way. Not in a way to impress other people or get your name on a building or to be announced in some way. Because God knows the heart. He knows what's really going on behind what we do. Keep going forward. We're, we're laying a foundation here. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Whenever you find statements in Scripture repeated in not only the Old Covenant but the New Covenant and in different places and different ways, you've got a timeless truth there because the truth keeps being put forward by different people in different places at different times because it's a constant. And this idea that God knows us deeply and He searches deeply is one of those constants. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless wordless groans. Verse 27 now. And He who searches our hearts, He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with with the will of God. Here we find, again, this concept that God searches our hearts. He already knows everything, but he's going even deeper to understand why we do what we do. With doctors, they just want to look at the chart. <laughs> they want to see what the vital signs are. They want to do the lab work, and they'll, they'll give all the results. But that's still leaves the question hanging out there, well why? Why are these levels low or why are these levels high? And, and that doctor's got to ask some probative questions. The doctor's gonna look at diet and exercise, gonna look at maybe things you're exposed to. Or the doctor needs to know maybe some of the history of your family because that's gonna explain some of those things. And sometimes it's are very difficult questions to ask. But good doctors do. That's the nature of their job. Well, who is the great physician? Other than God Himself, as He works through His Son, Jesus. What you've decided when you became a believer is that you decided that God's going to have free access to your life. That you're going to acknowledge the sin that He already knows is there. You're going to decide that that sin cannot go ex- coexist with His presence and, and that you're going to live with Him and you're going to allow Him to check you all along the way throughout your life. Well, some don't want that. That's why they don't want to be a believer. They don't want to believe there is a God because that implies accountability. But as a believer, that you're different. You decide. I want God to take a look. I want Him to search my heart. David in Psalm thirty-nine said, "Lord, search my heart, and look if there's any evil way or something unacceptable, and lead me in the way everlasting." You're always allowing God to search because He's going to be searching anyway. You want to cooperate. It's always amazing when people get pulled over for speeding. And there's a lot of videos on YouTube (coughs) where someone's been pulled over and they're kind of in denial. And they don't really believe the officer saw what he saw or recorded what he recorded. And you can tell they're being resistant and they're not cooperating but basically they're going to get a ticket anyway because they're in denial about what actually happened. They won't cooperate with the officer or they'll resist constantly. That doesn't mean the officer is always right with our God. He is always right. But sometimes people just don't want people telling them what to do or directing them anyway or asking them questions or even anything they're doing being examined. But here we have a God that examines us and looks at us closely. Let's look at Hebrews 4 now, and then we'll make some applications and go on to our second truth. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Here, the writer of Hebrews talks about the Word of God. This is the tool God uses as He searches our hearts and then redirects us. Verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So here we have our God who's always searching and always looking and always probing our lives. And his main instrument of doing that is his word. That's why I compare our services, especially the teaching portions, to where God's doing open heart surgery. He's looking to see what's going on. He's looking for attitudes and dispositions uh, that need to go, whether it be anger that's being used in a wrong way, or selfishness, or jealousy, uh, envy. Lust, whatever it is that's controlling us in a wrong way, God looks to remove that, not because He just likes messing with us, not because He likes getting in our business, but He wants to get rid of things that hurt us. Things that destroy this beautiful creation He made that when we were baptized into His name, this new creation. These things will destroy us, or they'll ruin us, or they'll mar our image. So He's always looking, but He's always looking to remove things that are not good. Just as good parents will always look to try to keep things out of the lives of their children that are harmful. I find it interesting that some of my students at school are not allowed to use a phone. We're in a school where every student has to yonder their phone, it's called. They have to put their phone in a pouch that has to be sealed before school starts. And that phone cannot come out at all till the end of the day when they do what's called unyondering. The pouch is unsealed. Uh, by the teacher, and then they can take it home. But there's some students that their parents say, I don't want you having a phone at all. And they have a special card they give to the teachers. I don't even have a phone. One parent's just now allowing their son to have a track phone. It's not a a phone that gives you access to the internet. It's just a phone where they can call to see where he is. If he's in the library, that's where we'll pick him up. They're some of my best students. I'm not saying students can't have a phone, but parents who know their child and know their proclivities and know how easily they can give in to certain things, will make those kind of judgments. Parents will say at times, no, on a Friday night, when other parents might say yes, because they know what their child might be capable of. Good parents know that their child is different than other children, and you have to make decisions that might be unique, but that's simply what you do as a parent. And our God does that. He searches, He knows us deeply more than anyone, and He's using His Word to always point us or guide us or redirect us in ways that are good. It's because He loves us. I have some parents that have no idea what the child's doing. Their child's rerouted the school phone system where the school doesn't know, the parent doesn't know they're being absent. The child got into the phone, and, and that phone call that's automatically made from school and they're absent uh, is being sent to some fake number, but the parent doesn't even know it because they're not paying attention. Other parents know the student's grade on assignment before the student even gets home that day. Because they're watching everything at school. And our God watches for our good. So never get frustrated when your conscience is bothering you. Or when you attend church services or a Bible study or a fellowship session. We're hearing things that make you uncomfortable. That's good. It's like when you go to the doctor. At times they're going to tell you things that are uncomfortable. That's good because you want to remove anything that's wrong. God searches the depths of your soul and be thankful for that. And be thankful that he doesn't just let go of things that he sees because he knows you'll get upset if you hear about it. Our God always will stay on us through Scripture and through conscience. So God searches the depths of your soul, and number two, he loves you to the core. He loves you to the core. Doctors, when they do full lab work, or when they operate at times, they're going to find things that they never expected to find. That's how cancers many times are discovered, through tests that weren't looking for cancer, but discovered cancer, or through x-rays or MRIs. Things are discovered that shouldn't have been there, but they're there and they have to deal with that. And our God, as He searches, at times will discover things that break His heart. Paul in Ephesians 4 talked about uh, not grieving the Holy Spirit. Just because our, our God knows everything doesn't mean He's okay with everything He finds just like a doctor will not be okay with things and will not just let things go that he finds. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, we looked at this text in recent weeks, but the Apostle Paul is talking about what we all deal with. That is, looking inside our life and not finding things or finding things that are unacceptable to God. Verse 21, Romans 7, Paul says, So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about what he knows that he sees. He sees himself on Sunday morning saying he's going to do this, but on Friday night doing something different. We at times will see ourselves saying, hey, we're not going to fabricate the truth anymore. We're not going to fabricate falsehood. We're instead going to tell the truth. We're not going to exaggerate stories to impress people. We're not going to tell white lies because that's in our history. But many times we do the very thing the next day that we vowed we wouldn't do. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, that's my struggle too. Even as an apostle, a writer, of 13 of the 27 letters of the New Testament. Someone who was endowed with miraculous abilities, even raised people from the dead, he still has the same struggle that you and I have. And God knows this struggle. And the whole idea of our, us confessing our sin is simply acknowledging what God already knows. That's what the police officer or the highway patrol wants you to do. Just acknowledge what he already knows. You did. But that's a challenge at times, because we want to keep things hidden or we don't want things to be discovered for fear of not being loved, or respected, or loved. Many times we want to hide things from people, because some people will see us differently. Or maybe we've had someone in our past that we shared very personal details about our life, and all of a sudden that person was treating us differently. Because they had some elevated view of us, and all of a sudden they didn't have... We think, man, I'll never tell someone personal ever again. Because we, many times, might affect the person. That we tell, so many times we keep things to ourselves. We keep things locked away, and we have rugs under which things are swept. We have closets in which things are kept, because we don't want the truth out there. Yet here we know our God knows already But the amazing truth is, the amazing grace is He still loves us all the way to the core of who we are. Paul said in Romans 7, verse 24, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. But then the very next verse, he says, verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, our God doesn't turn his back on the person he finds that has walked the wrong path or made a decision that broke his heart. Our Heavenly Father continues to love us all the way to the core of who we are, despite what he sees. And who gives us that kind of love? Maybe if you grew up with a parent that always had a certain standard for you and didn't even really seemed to accept you unless you had this certain standard of grades or doing this or doing that and and you felt this conditional love growing up, you'll carry that with you all your life, feeling that people love me just based on how I'm acting or what I'm doing at the moment. Or maybe if you've lived under the umbrella, well, people seem to like me if I'm always doing things for them, if I'm always helping. That's a painful life to live because you feel always this conditional love. But the timeless truth of our Heavenly Father's love He loves us to the core, that is, despite what He sees, whether it be our teenage years, rebellious decade of our 20s, or thoughtless period of our 30s, whatever it is that our God sees and finds, He still loves us, despite what He sees. Where are you going to get that kind of love? Are there any human beings that are that loving? Mothers come really close. <laughs> they do. Our mothers always tell us, I'll always love you. But still, our mothers are human. They'll get upset. At times, parents have turned their back on their children in frustration, or they've held them at arm's length because they're not quite sure what to do in a situation. The depth of our Father's love he continues to love us to the core. He continues to tell us, I know what you're doing. I don't accept it. I'm not going to excuse it. But I still love you. I'm not going to walk away from you. And I'm not going to just wash my hands of you. And I know what to do with you. But you've got to cooperate with me. Our Heavenly Father's always in that position. And there's no one on this earth, in our family, at work, or our circle of friends, or even within the church relationship that loves us that deeply and also knows everything and still loves us. It's an amazing love. And look at the depth of that love as it takes it even to another level. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 21, Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Says here you were alienated, you were away from God. You were an enemy because of what you were doing. You made yourself an enemy, not that God was your enemy. You were an enemy of God. He says, you once were that way. Verse 22, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. That's the cross. To present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Look at the depth of God's love. Here we once were alienated. He says you were enemies. Yet God reconciled. He made the first move. He did in the Garden of Eden where he made this promise that through Eve's descendants a Savior would come. And all throughout history, the Old Covenant, God's moving towards His people, trying to reconcile, to bring them. and they're always running from Him. From Adam and Eve running to us today, people are always running from God, and He's the one always chasing them down. But when they'll stop enough to be caught, and to hold their hands up before God said, you caught me, our God works to reconcile they'll confess the son is Lord, if they'll believe in all their heart that he's the son of God, and they'll confess what he already knows and repent. God will forgive. That's the reconciliation. But then notice what happens next. He says, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Our God is looking not just to catch us. But he's looking to catch us, but then not just leave us where we are but he's looking to do something about it to improve our lives. If you get pulled over by the highway patrol, even in your best situation, all right, officer, you caught me. I'll take the ticket. What happens there when he's done with the ticket? He hands it to you, and he drives off. (laughs) You're left to pay the fine or go to court. Their job is just to catch you. Our God catches us if we'll stop running. But He loves us enough not to just leave us there by the side of the road with the ticket in our hand. Our God looks to intervene with His love, and He has through His Son. And He looks to put us back on the right path of loving the right things, making decisions that honor Him. Having attitudes that show love and compassion towards people instead of judgment and hate and jealousy, God's always looking to confront our behaviors, our thoughts, our emotions that are unhealthy and destructive, and always looking to change them. He loves us enough not to leave us where we are. Amen. Where else do we get that kind of love? Cars will tell you the problem, but the doctor's not going to chase you out the door. The IRS, they're going to chase you but just to get what they want and then leave you back to where you were with the same old financial problems that got you in tax trouble to start with. But this love of our God that is always present, a knowledge that's always there, knows everything all the time. He's always looking to restore. Not to shake His finger at you, not to bark at you, not to, to scold you all the time, but instead simply to correct. John writes, you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't put you on three strikes, you're out. He doesn't put you on probation, parole, anything like that. He simply forgives and puts you right back where you started. That's why when Jesus told Peter, hey, you're going to betray me when the cock uh, crows three times, you're going to betray me. Peter also was told in the very same sentence. Though you sin, when you return me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus was already envisioning before Peter even committed the act of the church, that Peter was going to come back and be in this great position of restoring and helping his brethren. And sure enough, Peter becomes one of the greatest of all apostles. God loves us to the core. One final verse. Perhaps the most uh, loved section of all the epistles. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, a text about God's love for us. And is there anything that would ever shake it? Would God ever change his mind by seeing too much? And saying, I just can't love them anymore if they're going to do this. Look what Paul writes to people that are your believers. He says, verse 31, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how He not also along with Him graciously give us all things. Verse 33, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then can condemn? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Paul through the Spirit is telling the people of God, God is never going to stop loving you. You can't out his love. Now he's not going to Get into the sin with you. He's not going to tolerate you being in the sin. He's not going to condone it or support it. But you cannot sin so bad or so often that He just says, I just can't love you anymore. You're not going to get that anywhere else in this world. God is always looking to restore the people He loves to the core. So make the periods where you might think of running from Him very short. Just say, why run? God already knows. I'm just going to cooperate with Him. I'm going to confess the sin that He saw. I'm going to confess the attitude that He's aware of. And just allow His love and His grace to work in my life. And I'm going to get right back up and get right driving on the freeway again, but doing the right thing now in my life. If I get pulled over again, I'm going to do the right thing, confess it, acknowledge it, get right back. Because God loves you to the core. He's invested, Paul says, the life of His Son in you. And if He did not spare His own Son, how will He not also along with Him graciously give you all things? God invested His Son in you. He's never going to give up on you. And He's going to see you through to the end. That love is not found anywhere else. And as we close this morning, stay close to God's love. He's always close to you, but stay close to Him. The problem is not His love, it's our reception of that love and believing that He really loves us enough to do the right thing when we need to. As we conclude this morning, we're going to sing a song to encourage us, as we always end our services, to go the right direction, to be faithful, to trust in God, and to allow Him to love us enough to correct us and to restore us, and to chastise us if necessary, and then encourage us to go the right direction once we've got our mind right about what we need to do. Our God is always there. No one else will love us as much. If you need to respond to God this morning, you're tired of running either from Him, your conscience, whatever it is. You're here for a reason. You came here for restoration. Allow prayer or whatever obedient steps you need to make take place. Or as simply you leave, as you leave this morning, as Satan is waiting in the car for you <laughs> to continue his work.
1: In
0: my car. <laughs> <laughs> He's waiting down there at the light. Home, on God. And that's our, that's our key to do that. But Satan, like a robber, will keep checking the doors to see if, how solidly locked they are. But that's where we need the love of God because sometimes we've allowed him in.